proclaiming truth to restore life and liberty. This is The Future of America with your host, Nena Arias. She has proclaimed truth for over 40 years in many nations of the world and now endeavors to restore the values of the biblical worldview that made the United States of America the most powerful nation in the world. Ideas have consequences. They're passed on from generation to generation, forming the culture of a society. To eradicate error, the moral and ethical principles of the Bible must be firmly established in the heart and mind of each individual. Discover how to apply biblical principles to transform your world. And now, your host, Nena Arias. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 6 says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. End of quote. That word sober means let's be sensible, let's be level-headed, let's be prudent in our understanding. But it is talking about not falling asleep. And that is, of course, not physical, but spiritual. We must never be pacified into spiritual complacency and numbness as we live our life and as the world rolls along. It is easy many times when we are not having shockingly terrible things happen in our life, we have a tendency to live life on automatic. And that is something that the believer in Christ ought never to do. Every day is different, even though we may be doing many of the same things. We've never lived that day before. And so anything is possible. Welcome to the fourth and final part of this topic. Stay awake to spiritual danger. I'm Nena Arias, and it is my pleasure to greet you once again. I want to repeat that we should never be complacent and numb as life rolls along. If we are going to be more victorious in our Christian walk, we must be aware that a constant battle is raging within us and without us, inside of us and outside of us. And that battle requires for us to be alert at all times, as I just read from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. I now read from Romans chapter 13, verse 12 and 14 that says, So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. End of quote. Now, this is more common than we may think. Some of you may be saying, well, works of the flesh, um, I'm not an adulteress. I'm not into robbing banks. I'm not into murdering people. But, you know, making provision for the flesh can be as subtle as participating in a conversation 
that borders or crosses the line into gossip. It may be as subtle as what you may think might be uttering a little white lie, quote unquote. So the alertness that we must have is in everything, everything we say, everything we do. Many are the appetites of the flesh that can lead us to spiritual complacency or compromise, making us believe that, well, we deserve a little indulgence. We've been holy. We've been diligent. We've been walking with Christ for a long time. He knows we love him, but that is lulling us into crossing a line. By that, I mean that having been cleansed, let's not fall back again into the mire. Let's not slip down that slippery slope and cross the line. We must daily die to self, die to sin and the tendencies of the flesh. That is what Romans is saying. Make no provision for the flesh. If what you are doing is prioritizing what you like in the flesh more than what you need to do in the spirit, Mm, guess what? You're crossing a line. And we're not only responsible for ourselves, but you know, we are all leading somebody to heaven because many people are just watching us. Perhaps they've seen our life closely. They admire the way we believe, the way we live out our Christianity. So maybe they have made a an unconscious decision to say, hey, I'm going to follow that person's example. What I see is good. But then what happens when we cross the line into indulging ourselves into something that we ought not to? We're dragging people behind us. So we must be diligent at all times and not only look out for ourselves, but look out for all those who may be watching us. In Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. End of quote. We're responsible to each other. And something that can keep us out of trouble certainly is praying, committing everything into the Lord's care. We are all going to falter and fail at some point. And it is of humans to sin, even born-again believers. The difference is, what is our attitude towards sin once we find out or discover or recognize that we have crossed a line? What do we do with that? That is going to determine whether we continue sinning, whether that sinful act is forgiven and buried under the blood of Christ, and we modify our behavior, it's going to make all the difference in the world what our attitude is towards sin. So making no provision for that and submitting all things in prayer, not only for ourselves, but it says making supplication for all the saints. Pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you don't know them, will have a day of victory in their lives, will be able to overcome the challenges that they're going to face. 
our call is to protect one another. We are our brother's keeper. Even though we may not be on a day-to-day basis in contact with their lives, but we are our brother's keeper. You never know when you may be praying for the body of Christ and somebody in the other part of the world or in the next city or the next community is fighting for their spiritual life and they need support in prayer. This is why prayer just amazes me. It just explodes in my mind. What an awesome, awesome privilege we have when we have the opportunity to pray. We know what that means when we say we are to be, remain consistent and watchful in prayer. That part involves all of us because at any time we feel in real danger, what happens? Don't your prayers immediately kick up a notch? Mine do. When I sense danger, when I sense that something's coming at me, yeah, my prayers are increased and alerted immediately. And I call upon the Lord. That happens real quick because we sense the danger. Well, you know what? That danger is all around us every single day. Every single day. A lack of watchfulness in us indicates that we don't believe the danger is imminent when we are relaxed, not alert. And you know what? That is a dangerous mindset to have because it makes us vulnerable. We are caught off guard. Our tongue flies away and says things that it's not supposed to. Our mind begins to think things that it's not supposed to. Our desire begins to awaken to other things that it's not supposed to because it's not strengthening our spiritual walk. It is weakening our spiritual walk. So that's how alert we need to be of this imminent danger. In our previous program, we did mention that there isn't such a thing as a spiritual demilitarized zone, except those zones that have been sealed off by the blood of Christ through our obedience to the word of God and sealed in our hearts. Those doors have been closed to the enemy. But if we've not done that, guess what? The doors are open and we are vulnerable to his attacks. We are admonished to stand firm and be strong. Stand firm in the faith. This kind of determination is not a mere good intention. It is a very deliberate decision on our part. And this is true resolve. It's a fixed determination and hunger for God and only what comes from God. It is drawing the line in the sand and not backing down. And you know what? We have to draw that line in times of peace. Before we arrive at a position of danger. Because if we have done our homework previously, we will know immediately what to do when the danger presents itself. We will not waver. We will stand firm. We will recognize the line in the sand and say, uh-uh, that is there and it's very real and it should stay there. It is a will to hold your ground, 
to stand firm, come what may. It's easier said than done, but our determination in wanting to please God rather than ourselves and rather than other people, that will help us in the time of need to stand firm. Now, these kinds of phrases, when we say stand firm in the faith, they are frequently used by the Apostle Paul in his writings. And you can look these up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, in Galatians 5, verse 1, in Philippians 1, 27, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. And then, of course, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, talks to us about the warfare that we are in. It gives us the warfare language that says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. End of quote from Ephesians six thirteen. And if you read the context, you will see what the armor of God is. It refers to the helmet of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the gospel of truth. And so it tells you what the armor of God is and how you are to put it on. Make time to study that and put it on. Put it on. Determine in your heart that you're going to live in truth and not compromise God's truth. Determine in your heart that you're going to obey and honor yourself and God through living in righteousness. Right living. Doing the right thing. And that is how we put on the armor of God to go out into the field of battle. Spiritual warfare is not a metaphor. It's a very real activity all around us at all times. Do you remember the example in the Bible when Elisha's servant was fearful that the enemy was coming against them? And Elisha prayed that God would open up the eyes of his servant. And then he asked him, what do you see? Yes, he saw the huge army of enemies that was coming against them. But he also saw the spiritual army that was fighting for them. And they were more in the spiritual realm than in the physical realm. If our natural eyes could see what happens all around us, we will know that when we talk about spiritual warfare, it is not an allegory. It is not a metaphor. It is very real and very dangerous. It is not for the faint of heart. That's for sure which is why we have to make those stand firm and strong determinations. I would not be honest if I did not admit that in the rage of the battle, every warrior feels the temptation to run from the fight. You know why? It's not comfortable. It is not comfortable at all. But soldiers have to be reminded to stand firm. You talk to anyone who has had military experience. What do they feel in the midst of the raging battle? It doesn't feel comfortable at all. But we must be reminded that if we want victory, 
We better stand firm. We better fight. Every believer must remember that there is a cause that we're fighting for. And also that there are fellow soldiers that need defending and an enemy that must be defeated at all cost. We know that Jesus Christ defeated all of his enemies and they are put under his feet. But now we must fight against all those enemies and put them under our feet. So it is going to cost us something. In our mind, to be strong is to choose courageous action in the face of danger, but only in the strength and with the weapons of warfare that God has provided. And you can read about these, like we were mentioning, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 14 through 17. Strength without faith is no use in this battle. You can feel like you are a person of strong character and you can stand up against anything. But if you go up against spiritual challenges only in that strength, you're not going prepared for that type of battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Now listen to this scripture very closely. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. End of quote. I love this verse. I love this portion of scripture because it reminds us how we fight. We don't fight in our strength. We don't fight only with our strength of character. We fight with the weapons of our warfare, which is the power of God that destroys those strongholds. And they come at us with arguments, thoughts that are not godlike. But we destroy those arguments and every lofty opinion that wants to claim that it is above the knowledge of God. We take those thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. And that may mean that we may have discussions and disagreements, even with family members that are not embracing the full counsel of the word of God. And there's a challenge right there, right within our home, right with our family members, especially if they're not willing to learn. Now, we can all have differences of opinion and interpret the word of God from one angle and then from another angle. But when we compare notes and when we compare scripture with scripture and when we measure them up to the character of Christ, we're going to come up with the right answer if we are willing to learn, if we are willing to hash out, if we are willing to study diligently what the word of God says. But if we're not, we have dissension in our home. We will have dissension with those that are even immediately in our surrounding. What can we say about members in the church? What can we say about false teaching in the church that we are all responsible for? But you know, one thing that helps us to be in harmony, no matter if we have to discuss where we are disagreeing, guess what it is? It's love. We must do all things in love, never just wanting to push our own way through. 
It has to be because we love God, because we love people, because we love ourselves, and we love truth. At first, we might wonder, well, we have been talking about the kingdom of heaven increases and the violent take it by force. How do we balance that out with love? If we are to be vigilant and violent to take the kingdom of God by force, admonishments to be watchful and stand firm and be strong, what does that have to do with the emphasis of love? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14 tells us, let all that you do be done in love. End of quote. Now remember that that kind of love is not moved by emotions. It is not determined by emotions. It is sincerely wanting the best even for your enemy because we are to pray for our enemies and think really hard that those people that we dislike, they have a soul that is more precious to God than anything else. And so we have to love them enough to want their salvation, even though we don't like their character, even though we don't like the way they treat us, even though we don't like what they say or the emphasis they put on things in life. But they still have a soul that we must love. And so even if we serve an enemy, we must do it in love. That is precisely the basis for whatever we do in our walk with the Lord and for the kingdom of God. Isn't that what God uses to deal with us? The basis of everything that he does is because of his love. We must reciprocate. We must base everything that we do for the kingdom of God in us and around us must be motivated by love. Love is the greatest power at work between God and man and between man and man. That is the greatest power. It will break up the strongholds of hatred, of anger, of ill will. Love comes through. Read the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. If you do all these marvelous things, but if you don't have love, guess what? You flunk. I flunk. The greatest of them all is love. Love is also the most destructive power against the domain of darkness. We disarm the enemy when we show love to someone who hates us. (laughs) He can't do anything with that. He cannot cross that barrier because everything he does is out of hatred and the power of love breaks down his stronghold. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. First John chapter three, verse eight tells us. How did Jesus do that? He loved the world enough to come and die for it. He gave his life. He did this primarily when he laid down his life for us as a propitiation for our sins. And then he instructs us to lay down our lives for one another in the spirit of gracious, patient, and sacrificial kindness. We diffuse the bombs of hate, the destruction of hatred when we do things in love. People don't know what to do with that. You disarm them when they are hell-bent 
to do evil. Nothing demonstrates and communicates the power of the gospel as clearly as love. And we are told this in John 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the most powerful witness that we can give to the world of God's love when we love one another. Nothing is as relationally healing as love. When love is lacking, it is the evidence of the influence of the devil and the flesh. We're letting it get the better of us. First John chapter 3, verse 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. End of quote. It's easy for us to say words of our Christianity, our spirituality, but words are cheap if they're not followed up with action. Your life is speaking louder than your words. So, Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. End of quote. Four words and deeds of love, while being the most healing to the human soul, are the most spiritually destructive acts we can commit against our spiritual adversary. We destroy him when we do works of love, and especially when he knows that we don't feel the emotion of what we think love is. We go against everything that we feel that's negative, and in spite of all that, we do a good act. Love is the greatest spiritual gift, and love is the most powerful spiritual weapon. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 and 21 says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. End of quote. We must have understanding on this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do you feel like feeding your enemy? Do you feel like giving him something to drink if you see him thirsty and in need? Why are we supposed to do this? Because in so doing, We are working the justice of God and the justice of God. It says when we do good things, we will heap burning coals on their head. Now that sounds contradictory, right? If we're doing good, how is it then that we are heaping burning coals on their head? Well, guess what? If your enemy does not repent, does not interpret God's love by you showing him that love and he persists in his way of sinning, those good acts on the day of judgment are going to be his punishment because he received good deeds and he did not heed to that love. And we receive the reward when we do not allow evil to overcome us, but we do good deeds. We need to be vigilant. We will feel our need for more vigilance as a society grows more hostile to Christianity. We need a constant watchfulness especially in the church, 
where the ravenous wolves of false teaching may infiltrate the flock. Do you see our battle is everywhere, inside and outside of the church, inside us and outside of, of us. It's everywhere. We must encourage ourselves and ensure ourselves to be watchful and remain Christ-like and let all that we do be done in love for the glory of God. Stay awake in spiritual danger. That is the admonition in this topic. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. May these truths challenge and change your heart. We hope today's topic has truly enriched your life so we can make America strong again. This program is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners. All donations are tax deductible. We would love to hear your questions or comments. Please visit our website at www.culturallegacy.org. You may email us at cl.culturallegacy.org or write to The Future of America, P.O. Box 38456, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27438. Call us at 877-732-2887. That's 877-732-2887. Remember, you are a person of positive or negative influence. What you do today will impact the future.